Election College, episode 194, part two of the life of Millard Fillmore. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben, in the last episode, we ended with Millard moving up the ranks, having a little bit of inter-party strife because of, well, you know, anytime you get a couple of people together, you're always going to have some sort of disagreement, right? But we're having a lot of disagreement, even on the Whig side of the aisle, of what to do about slavery. And is this a federal issue? Is it a state issue? Is it a moral issue? Does the fact that something isn't morally right mean that it should be legislated? Wow, it can get deep. But anyway, (laughs) uh, there is a lot of moving up the ranks for our buddy Millard Fillmore, who says slavery is wrong, but it should be left up to the states. So part of the strategy behind getting involved in the election of 1848 is you have Zachary Taylor, the war hero, running for president. Yeah, and Taylor is pretty popular, but a lot of Northerners, they don't like the fact that, well, he's from Louisiana, and also he has slaves, and also there's a lot of tension about slavery going on. So the fact that they're not really certain about some of his views, they're not really certain about Taylor. And that means they need to find out who else is going to run on the ticket. So Weed is trying to get Seward on the ticket as well. But there are some people who don't like Weed and who don't like Seward either by kind of guilty by association kind of thing. And so Seward ends up not getting the nod. And so also who doesn't get the nod, that's right, Henry Clay, uh, again, for like the 800th time is not going to be president. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, some people are upset about that, of course. And Millard Fillmore agrees with some of what Henry Clay says, but doesn't really go for him to be president. Remember that this time, you know, the president isn't picking their running mate. Uh, It's more of an election, of course. And it ends up that Millard Fillmore becomes the nominee for the party. Yeah, so what you have here is a situation where you don't have the internet. (laughs) You don't have the network TV pundits on for 24 hours, and you're not hearing everything that a candidate says. So what you hear is an ideology according to whatever region you're in, you're going to hear certain biases. So what you have happening is you've got Zachary Taylor, who people don't know what he's about. You know, just a few months ago, they were talking about the Democrats wanting Taylor to run on the ticket. And 
he ends up selecting the Whigs to run for. And remember, Taylor didn't even vote prior to this election. So we don't really know what he stands for. But what we do know is that he's a war hero and that a lot of people are going to say, yeah, I'm going to vote for him. And then with Fillmore, you have people up north assuming that since he's from the north, he's against slavery and he is probably an abolitionist. Meanwhile, in the south, they're seeing him as somebody who, well, he was involved with some legislation in the 1840s when he was in Congress that was pretty friendly to the Southern cause. And that cause, of course, being states' rights, a.k.a. tolerance of slavery. So by not really saying anything, Fillmore is a strong national candidate because nobody really knows what he stands for, kind of like Zachary Taylor. So at the end of it all, through all of this mess, <laughs> Taylor and Fillmore end up winning the election. You can go back and listen to our episode on the election of 1848. New York is, of course, key to the election, and this is uh, something that doesn't really stop for a long time. So Miller Fillmore is now the vice president, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but March 4th is the day where the president is sworn in. It's Inauguration Day and the vice president as well, but March 4th is a Sunday. So it's March 5th, 1849. Millard Fillmore becomes the vice president of the United States of America. Yeah. So can you imagine the Senate at this time in history? Because there are a lot of powerful figures there. You know, you still have Henry Clay and others who Many people can make the argument that being a senator was almost as powerful, dare I say, as perhaps being the president, because, well, you have a lot of senators standing up and being better remembered. I know Henry Clay is probably better remembered where I'm from than Polk or Taylor even. So Fillmore ends up being the president of the Senate. Like, I always have to throw that in because that's the only thing I learned in <laughs> high school history. So there he is presiding over the Senate, making deals with weed because, well, you need to have some sort of agreement, right? Because they are on the same side of the aisle and they're trying to figure out what to do with all of these wigs, especially the New York wigs. How are you going to divide up some of these jobs? Who are you going to help out? Whose back are you going to scratch? So... They work things out, and Fillmore is wheeling and dealing there in the Senate. One of his favorite things to do is to kick back and be involved in with what's going on at the Smithsonian. And, you know, he kind of plays both sides of the coin. He doesn't really offend too many people because Taylor is a pretty powerful man. He's got a powerful personality. He's going to do what he wants to do. And Fillmore, he's just doing his thing there in the Senate. So there's this huge debate happening uh, always during this time period, but especially during this specific time period where Fillmore is in the Senate and there's this conflict over slavery, of course. And 
President Taylor had sent a special message to Congress and said, please, please, you have to let in California and let them in now. And you have to let in New Mexico. And you could do that later. And then the Supreme Court can figure out this whole thing about Texas and New Mexico and all that stuff. And so Henry Clay's like, here you go. I've got this bill that would be a compromise. North would win some. The South would win some. California would come in, but as a free state. And there'd be some other governments put in place. And uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have slaves in Washington, D.C., or I guess just D.C. at the time. And uh, also, you know, th- th- there'd be some stuff about the Fugitive Slave Act, all that kind of stuff. But Taylor is like, eh, this isn't really my thing. I'm not really enthusiastic about this bill. And Congress doesn't take any action. Fillmore is like, hey, Taylor, if if this is a tie in the Senate, I'm going to go for it in favor. I'm going to, you know, because that's their job. The VP is the president of the Senate, which means they get to cast the tie-breaking votes. And he wants them, uh, wants everybody to get along, but he also likes the bill pretty well. So, he kind of puts his foot down. Ends up not coming to that point. Uh, there are some really interesting things that happen, physical confrontations and stuff like that. But pretty soon the news is taken over with the death of President Taylor. Yeah, so we know about the milk and the cherries and Taylor <laughs> eating them on the 4th of July. And then by the time July the 8th rolls around... Taylor is on his deathbed, and the next day, July 9th, Millard Fillmore becomes president of the United States. Earlier, Ben, I mentioned uh, Henry Clay as one of the powerful senators, but you also have Daniel Webster and John C. Calhoun. I just can't imagine what that would have been like. Yeah. Uh, and Just as a side, that physical confrontation between Senator Foote and Senator Benton uh-huh. Um, oh my goodness. So Foote was from Mississippi and Benton was from Missouri and Foote pointed a gun at Benton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't really see senators doing that today. Anyway. Nearly. Yeah. It, it, but yeah, I still get people who tell me that politics right now is worse than it ever has been. Anyway, so back on track. Fillmore is now the president because old rough and ready, uh, Taylor, he succumbs to his illness and he dies. And you know what to do, right? When you succeed a president because of death, right? You continue the administration. Just That's just what you do. You keep the cabinet members. You try to keep the policies but as a formality, all the cabinet members, they submit their resignation and the new president says, well, no, no, you need to stay on. Of course you need to stay on. That's that's what we're here to do. We're here to continue the legacy. No, that's not what happens. Taylor's cabinet members begin submitting their resignations and Fillmore's like, okay, see ya, thanks. <laughs> bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. And no one is left. So Fillmore already has a few people in mind that he wants to 
newly nominate about 20 of them and he begins to send out these new nominations to the senate and basically he wants uh, webster to be the secretary of state and people don't like a lot of the stuff that fillmore is going for because it's not exactly what his predecessor had gone for and a lot of it was pretty much just exactly the opposite now taylor dying didn't really stop the fact that there's still other stuff going on. We've still got these disputes happening over, well, slavery, and we've got disputes happening over Texas and New Mexico, and you know we're still on kind of a, a slippery slope with Mexico itself, and California is going to come through. So Henry Clay's bill is kind of dead, and things get interesting when Stephen Douglas comes in and says, well, we should really break up this bill into separate bills. And Fillmore's like, yeah, I, I like that. I like how that works. Yeah, so the big thing was the Fugitive Slave Bill. And we all remember what that is, basically, that if a slave escapes to the North, it is everybody's obligation to get that slave back to their owner and Fillmore I think he probably had to bite his tongue he probably felt horrible about signing this bill but he still did it I mean he's the president he could have not signed the bill he could have vetoed it but no he didn't so if you want to offend an abolitionist signed the Fugitive Slave Act. And that's exactly what he did. So the election of 1852 comes up and Millard Fillmore's like, well, I'm not really sure if I should run for a full term as the president or what. And Secretary Webster, uh, Daniel Webster, had pretty much forever wanted to be the president and had kind of planned out his way to get there. And so Miller Fillmore is like, yeah, sure, you're my buddy, and we've been friends for a long time, and I don't think I want to run anyway. Sure, let's go ahead. Let's let's see about this. And so the national convention is coming up. It's going to be in Baltimore, and we've got these candidates: Miller Fillmore, who we're not really sure if he wants to run, uh, Webster, who we know wants to run, and Winfield Scott, who, well. We've talked about Winfield Scott a little bit already, so go back and listen to that episode. The Democrats end up nominating Franklin Pierce, who like comes out of nowhere, and the uh, they they kind of determined that yeah we're going to need a really super strong Whig candidate in order to win this one. And Millard Fillmore's like, well, I don't really think I'm incredibly popular with the Whigs simply because you know the whole Fugitive Slave Act thing, but the South, yeah, they still like me, but is that enough? Is that enough to get me the win, or should we end up bringing in someone else who is going to be more popular with the North and the South, not just part of the party? Yeah, so what ends up happening is pretty horrible if you're a Daniel Webster fan, because he passes away in October of 1852. You've got Winfield Scott emerging as the candidate, and Winfield Scott emerges as the candidate because of the whole Fugitive Slave Act, which is a big deal. And, you know, we covered that. Scott wins the nomination, but 
he loses to Franklin Pierce. So before the Fillmores leave to go back to New York, of course, they attend the inauguration of the new president, Franklin Pierce. But Abigail, his wife, gets a cold at the inauguration. Ben, I can't believe this, because why does so many bad things happen in yeah. this era at the inaugurations? It's just yeah. horrible. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, she gets pneumonia, and she dies just a short while after the inauguration. So Fillmore goes back to Buffalo alone. Uh, he buries his wife. And then the next year, his daughter dies of cholera. Yeah, so you can imagine he becomes a bit of a recluse. And he's also not incredibly wealthy at this point because, well, he doesn't have the pension or the uh, the lifetime health care plan or anything like that that presidents get when they leave office. So he's got some investments that he had made previously, and he's kind of living off those, but it, he's really kind of just sunk back into secluding himself from everyone because, you know, he's lost family, and that's not easy. So he comes out a couple times and supports some different bills and some different acts and stuff like that. But the Whig Party just isn't really interested in having him be in any kind of official capacity. So he ends up saying, well, I don't have a public office, so why not go out and travel? And (laughs) he goes out and he goes abroad uh he ends up going to meet the queen and she calls him handsome so that's a great time and uh (laughs) he ends up meeting a lot of different individuals while he's in europe he ends up going to rome and has the opportunity to meet with pope Pius the ninth and he's like yeah i think this would be good to some extent with uh, you know some advantages and some disadvantages i could see it but let's go ahead and do it and then he finds out that he's gonna have to kneel down and kiss the pope's hand and he's like i think i'm gonna back out but the pope still wants to meet with him so they agree that (laughs) the pope will remain seated and that way he wouldn't have to kneel to him and kiss his hand so you know constantly having to play politics even in a different country yeah so he comes back and in 1856, he comes back to America. I don't want anybody to not assume that he just came back. He he comes back to America. <laughs> and in 1856, Fillmore is back in the States. He and his friends are a part of the American Party. And they choose him to be the presidential candidate. Uh, Andrew Jackson Donaldson uh, becomes his running mate, which is quite interesting when you think about it because Andrew Jackson Donaldson is the nephew, now by marriage, of Andy Jack. Go figure. That was like a total rival. But he is running and the Republican Party is starting up with John C. Fremont, who decides that he's going to run for president as well. So you've got a fractured other side of the aisle. I don't even know what to call the other side if you're not a Democrat at this point. Because it's just, the Whigs didn't have to be such a mess, but it's horrible what happens. Because the Democrats are just going to, they're just going to emerge as the winner. 
So with the opponents of the Democrats in 1856 being so fragmented, Senator James Buchanan easily becomes the president. Fillmore goes back to Buffalo and really takes on the role of an elder statesman of sorts, but he is mostly concerned with keeping the union together. So he goes around and tries to encourage everyone for the preservation of the union, which we see that with several former presidents. But he organizes a group called the Union Continentals, which was a group of men who were over 45 years old from upstate New York to defend Buffalo just in case the Confederate army would attack. Uh, They never did, but uh, he does play a role there. There was some controversy because he wasn't overtly supportive of Lincoln. And you remember when Lincoln died, everybody put you know, the, the black bunting on their houses to, you know, show that they were mourning the president. And he got a, quite a bit of flack because his house wasn't adorned that way. It turns out he was out of town, but people were just looking for an excuse to attack old Millard. Yeah. So he ends up being in pretty good health, uh, almost to the point where he passes. Uh, he has a stroke and then another one, uh, just shortly after and passes away. And so he's buried in Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo, New York. Tons of important people are there. Hannibal Hamlin, who is the vice president under Lincoln during his first term, uh, shows up as well. And uh, that's where he's buried, in Forest Lawn Cemetery there in Buffalo. So kind of a weird legacy, uh, kind of a weird tenure, I guess you could say, as the president. Uh, President by accident and kind of reviled by many and revered by others. And yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to know what to think about Millard Fillmore because he's so forgettable and did a lot of stuff that really influenced the nation at the same time. Yeah. You know, just to bring it full circle, because we talked in the last episode about him being a voracious reader, he and Abigail established the first white house library and well, there's still a White House library. So you can thank Millard and Abigail Fillmore for that. Nice. Speaking of being voracious, how about you? You're a voracious listener to Election College, or at least if you're listening this far into the podcast, we would make that assumption. It's very easy to help support the podcast for as little as 11 cents an episode. That's like a dollar a month. You can become a patron for Election College on Patreon. Just go to electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can find out how to support the podcast that way. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, which we appreciate very much. You can go over to electioncollege.com slash review, and it'll take you right there to our page where you can leave us a review and tell other people how much you enjoy the show and that they should listen to it as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. We look forward to interacting with you on our social media sites. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Election College. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.